Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. Why don't we open the scripture together here? Uh, the, the last several weeks, really throughout the summer, since early in June, when Corey felt like the Lord was speaking to him about the joy of the Lord, and we said yes and amen and kind of piled on it, we've been looking through the word at how do we live in the joy of the Lord? Not just the abstract theory of wouldn't this be a great thing, but how do we actually take in, digest, walk in and live in the joy of the Lord? And this morning I want to unpack for you a handful of verses from First Thessalonians of all places. Uh, it's a little late letter towards the back of your New Testament. And, and it's one that is just brimming and overflowing with Paul's love and heart for a church that he had the opportunity to plant, but not to stay with for a long time. He went into Thessalonica. He preached the gospel publicly. There were a bunch of people who believed, but in literally just a matter of a handful of weeks, such an opposition arose to what he was doing in preaching the gospel that he was driven out of town and he couldn't come back and visit those new believers again. And he was desperate to find out how were they doing, what was going on. And he sent his friend Timothy to check in on them. And when Timothy came back and gave him good news, Paul wrote this letter back to the church. And much of the letter is him just rejoicing over their faith in the midst of suffering and trouble. And you can see he's got such a burden to encourage them. But he also wants to tweak some misunderstandings and some ways that they could improve their their thinking about stuff. And then it's like he tries to pack in so much stuff right at the end of the letter. And I don't know whether it was going to cost an extra stamp. That's a joke. If you wrote extra or for what reason, but it's just jam packed towards the end with like one liner bullet point exhortations and urgings that clearly he feels are really valuable for them. But he's just rapid fire banging through these for them. And I want to jump in, obviously, you know, when we preach a section of scripture, we can't catch the whole thing. But in chapter five, I just want to read through uh, 14 through 19. But I particularly want us to get a grip on 16 through 18. So before we get there, I want you to work with me on verses 16 through 18. You ready to memorize a little bit of Bible this morning? Okay. Can we do that? All right. Can you say with me, rejoice always? Rejoice always. always. Say it on your own. You just memorized verse 16. Hey, you got to love the short verses, right? Hey, so we do verse 17. Pray continually. All right, let's string those together. Hey, you're two for two, right? And no extra charge for a second verse at church today. All right, so rejoice always. What's the next one? And then the third one is give thanks. Now, I'm cheating a little bit because verse 18 goes on a little longer than give thanks. It starts out give thanks. Say give thanks. It says give thanks in all circumstances. Ooh, that gets a little harder. I mean, it's not so hard to remember, right? We can remember that. It's harder to do. So let's drill it in a little bit. Let's start back at the beginning. Rejoice always and continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. And the verse continues, because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. 
And that because it's this will, God's will for you in, in Christ Jesus does not apply only to giving thanks. It's a package. These are three things. What are they? What's the first one? And the second one? And the third is give thanks. In all circumstances, all the time, whatever's going on. Those three things are not really separate things, are they? Can you see? They've got to go together, right? Because somehow this idea of being full of joy, being in continuing communion with God, and overflowing with thankfulness are all connected together. So let's start it in verse 14, kind of get a running start. You'll recognize those as we go through them. And then we'll stop at verse 19. Verse 14, Paul says, And we urge you, brothers. You can tell he's in the urging mode here. We urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. But always strive to do what's good for one another and for everyone else. My 1984 translation says, always try to be kind to one another and everyone else. But virtually every English translation now will say, do what's good for one another and everyone else. And now verse 16. Can you help me with that one? Always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And then verse 19 tells us, don't put out the Spirit's fire. It says, don't quench the Spirit. And that's the zone we're going to dig into some more today, right? And verses 16 through 18, what, what did those say? Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Guys, that's pretty ridiculous. I mean, does anybody else think that's like, you know, there's tall orders and then there's, you've got to be kidding me sort of stuff. I rejoice always. I mean, have you looked at some of the things we've prayed for each other about just in the last handful of weeks? There are challenges and pain in this church that defy rejoicing. It's like, how can you rejoice in the middle of that? There's got to be moments where we can't rejoice, right? Or, or how do we fulfill the Bible's command to mourn with those who mourn? So, Paul, what are you thinking? And pray continually? Come on, sometimes I go to sleep. Do you ever go to sleep? I know you do. I've seen you do it during the sermon. Uh, right? Pray continually. Come on, how are we going to do that? Sometimes i got to answer phone calls, do other... How are we going to do that, Paul? And give thanks in all circumstances? There are moments where my reaction to what's happening is the opposite of thanks, right? And so this idea of, come on, guys, church, I want to urge you, brothers, do this all the time without fail. I think you've got to be kidding me. The, you know, it's hyper, it's hyperbolic. Paul, this is just too much. But read it and see it this way. Guys, Paul's giving us an invitation. These verses are an invitation. They're a call for us to do life with God. Do you hear that? Because I sure can't do that on my own. I can have moments. I can sustain a pretty good game for a while. But I wear out on it. And the centrality of pray continually shows us this is a call into communion with God. 
to do life together with the Lord. Let me show it to you this way. For those of you who are longtime Mercy Hillers, I'll just say it's all right. Don't worry, there's no glitter. All right, so what do I have here? Bonus points if you're able to recognize both of these tools right away. Yep, on sale. My on sale. My father-in-law picked it up one time when he was visiting when I was out of the country, and instead of raking, he picked up the Toro uh, for my family, gave it to us. And uh, this fine bad boy from Leaps is uh, also useful. Uh, what are they made to do? Same thing or different things? Anybody want to do it? Ian, Seth, can you guys come help me out? Right, because everybody knows where this is going, but it's a lot more fun if you actually do it. So, here you go. So, can you blow Mr. Todd? Now, they won't stop unless we tell them to, right? But which one of these two is going to be able to go on longer? And why is that? It's not battery operated. Hey, boys, if you could stop for a moment. Thank you so much. Now, most of us, this is how we try to do it, right? We're like, we're going over here, we're going over there, we're free, nothing's connected, and we, we leave flow. But at some point, our batteries run out, and we say, okay, I know what I need to do. I'll go plug back into the Lord, get a recharge, and then I'll go back to doing it on my own. And go back doing it. Oh, battery ran out. I got to go back to the Lord. Time to pray again. Time to get back in my Bible. Recharge. Plug back in. Okay, now I'll get going again. Now I'll get going again. I'll do my thing. Battery runs down. What do we do? We plug back in. for, And that's the cycle that we live our Christian lives in. But Paul's calling us to something different where we're actually living in communion with the Lord and we stay plugged in. Now, every analogy reaches its breakdown point and some reach them quicker than others. But uh, one of the one of the reasons I like the staying plugged in analogy is there are some inconveniences to all my corded tools. Right? It takes a little more effort to get the worksite set up. Can't just shoot from the hip. And there's limits and range to, if I try to go basically out of bounds, it just doesn't function anymore. You know, and it's a bit like that with the Lord because there's lines and boundaries that He doesn't want us to cross. And if we're going to walk and live in communion with the Lord, then we're restricted a bit by where His heart is willing to go with things. But this is the invitation that Paul gives us. This is the call that he gives to it. Is that you and I, we can do a bit on our own for a while. If we get all charged up in Jesus, we can run a little faster, run a little farther for a while. But rejoice, how much? 
always pray occasionally, give thanks when it feels good. That's not what it says, right? It's calling us into a communion and a relationship with God that we can't do on our own. And this urging to us is not just, it's not a to-do list for you and I. It's a come close to Jesus urging. And it's descriptive of what our lives can be like when we give ourselves to being connected to the Lord. Because in the Lord, there's fullness of joy. In the Lord, prayer is not just a one-way conversation where we're throwing our requests up and hoping they get past the ceiling. There's fellowship with the Lord. And thirdly, thankfulness can bubble up in all circumstances because we know God's got our lives in his hands. And we can see this, this reality when we look at those verses that are bordering it, verse 15 and verse 19 in particular. There's a contextual connection here that I want us to see, right? Verse 15 said, make sure that no one pays back wrong for wrong. Uh-oh. Somehow the context of saying rejoice always is in the context of people doing bad things to us that we're called to forgive. Somehow we're finding joy not in isolation from people who hurt us, but in the context of those relationships, in the context of having things we need to forgive, having people in our lives that hurt us, that we want to do wrong to, that we may need other believers in the fellowship to come to us and say, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh, Don't pay back wrong for wrong, right? Because Paul's language there, he says, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. Saying live in the kind of community where you get in each other's faces and protect each other from doing things that grieve the Holy Spirit. Are you hearing that? And he says, secondly, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Joy is not found in withdrawing from other people's needs and problems. Joy isn't found in withdrawing from the pain and the the rough and tumble of difficult relationships. Instead, we find our joy. The place we rejoice always is in the context of serving others, of striving to do good to one another and to everyone else. That means that as a church, We're people who engage in the public sphere for the common good. It means that we don't find our ideal Christian life withdrawing from a society that's full of problems, that is going a different direction than we think it should. Instead, we engage in society, as as Paul says, in a way that calls us to strive to do what's good for everyone else, not just our own tribe, not just people who look like us, believe like us, do things like us. So we invest in things that enable people in society to flourish, whether that's backpacks for kids in Altgel Gardens, whether it's serving at the National Night Out Against Crime, whether it's teaching kids English in Japan who don't have native English speakers to converse with, whether it's our young people in Minneapolis taking the time to learn and listen from Somali immigrants, eat their food, and then serve food to people who don't have food. Serving the common good, doing what's best for the people around us means sharing with our neighbors. And by neighbors, Jesus means all the people we come in contact with, not just the guy whose lawn neighbors your lawn. Um, but sharing with the people around us the good news of Jesus Christ and the hope that we found in him. 
And the other bookend for these verses, what were our verses? Verse 16 was, was what? And then 17? And verse 18? Thanks. In all circumstances. Right? So the first bookmark calls us into relationship with difficult people, needy people. Make sure that no one pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what's good for one another and for everyone else. The other bookend, verse 19, is don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't put out the Spirit's fire. Yeah, we're, we're, we're challenged around these verses. Say, this happens as we live in relationship with the Holy Spirit and in connection with the people that are around us. This is where we live in the joy of the Lord. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Does quench, is quench a word that makes sense? It's like you got a campfire and then you dump a five gallon bucket of water on it. What happens to the campfire? That's it. It's a good thing if you're packing up your campsite and leaving. It's a bad thing if you're trying to cultivate the fire of the Holy Spirit in your heart. What are some of the things that quench the Holy Spirit? Well, I think we can put out the Spirit's fire actively or passively. Right? Active things, things that actively quench the Holy Spirit are doing things that grieve the Spirit. There's one reason why verse 15 is important. Because paying back wrong for wrong Does that please the Holy Spirit or grieve the Holy Spirit? So let's make sure, let's help one another not do that. Kindness. Does it please the Holy Spirit or grieve the Holy Spirit? Some of you aren't so sure. Let's uh, let's say it loud. Help the others who aren't so sure. It pleases the Holy Spirit. That's why the translators in 1984 for the New International Version said, try to be kind to each other. Try. Just try. Try to be kind to each other. Right. And when we're we're going to be spending 18 months of presidential campaign coming up, can we just flag Christians? Kindness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Unkindness is a fruit of the flesh. Discern the difference and please the Holy Spirit. You know, there was a previous generation earlier, you know, go back to your grandparents day. They would call unkindness being mean spirited. This idea of being mean-spirited shows it's the opposite of what pleases the Holy Spirit. Now, we can cultivate the fire of the Holy Spirit in our lives by following his promptings to do good to others. It's like the guy I was mentioning here at Mercy Hill when I said, we're doing this Financial Peace University. And he said, that blessed my life. It turned my family's finances around. Let me give so other people can do it. He had, a, he had a choice, a moment of opportunity there to either welcome and embrace something the Holy Spirit was stirring him about that was going to cost him something. And you can easily put out the Spirit's fire by not responding to the promptings of the Spirit. Or you can fuel them and you can blow on it by responding to it. Now, in a few weeks, we're going to be premiering a video here that was made for Mercy Hill that features the Hadley story of welcoming Congolese immigrants into their own family. I've got about a 40-second trailer to share with you now uh, in which Steve just mentions this reality. And I want to do a couple things by showing this. One is just to highlight this example, that you and I have choices throughout each week, and this coming week will be no exception, where we can make a choice to cultivate a prompting and the fire of the Spirit or to quench it. And it'll have to do with how we respond to other people, people who do us wrong, 
and people who have needs. Verses 15, verses 19. And that that will set the thermostat for verses 16, 17, and 18. What was 16? Rejoice always. 17? Pray continually. 18? Thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Adam, if you'd be so kind. I think what I learned from this experience is that when you feel God tugging at your heart for something, you just need to go for it. It's not always easy, but there's a reason for it, and you just got to do it. To share communion together now, come back to this invitation. Jesus came from heaven to earth. Not so that we could tick off some doctrinal boxes on our intellectual checklist. Not so that we'd have a longer to-do list of religious requirements that we might try somehow to please him with. But so that you and I can live in right relationship with him. Not beginning someday when we die, but here and now. And when Jesus was going back to heaven, he promised something to his disciples. He said, I'm going to send another comforter to be with you forever the spirit of truth. He said, I'm going to give you another one who's just like me, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one who is always rejoicing, who's constantly in communion with the Father and who is the fountain of thanksgiving in our hearts. He's the well from which we don't repay wrong for wrong. He's the source by which we're able to do good to others who've hurt us or have needs that seem to exceed our ability. And so as we share communion, We're not only remembering the cross and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're proclaiming his death until he comes in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for for these urgings that contain promise for us. Lord, thank you that your urgings in your word here are not just stuff that we're supposed to somehow do on our own, but you call us into connection with you so that they can be the promise of our life and walk in fellowship with you and your Holy Spirit. Lord, forgive us for our back and forth, charge up, run out on our own, come back for a recharge, run out on our own. Lord, we repent of trying to live for you without living with you. Lord, we come back to say, Lord, we we know we need this connection. We need to walk in this consistent connection with you. So Lord, we thank you that on the night you were betrayed, You took the bread, you gave thanks, and you broke it. said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. Because, Lord, we know that it's you that we need. You are our very bread of life. Lord, thank you that in the same way, after supper, you took the cup. And when you'd given thanks, you gave it to your disciples. You said, take and eat. This cup is the cup of a new covenant. Your own blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Lord, we need that. We need it today. Communion with you, not as a formality, but as the encounter with your grace that sustains us every day. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. These guys are going to be passing a little bit of bread, a little bit of juice back and forth. It's going to take a little while to make its way down the aisles. Uh, And 
as it passes, as it goes. Go ahead and just take a piece of bread and a cup of juice. And let this be your own moment saying, Lord, I need you. Lord, forgive me for my disconnectedness. And Lord, help me to stay plugged in. Where you need to repent of seeking your energy, your life, your satisfaction and other things besides Jesus, do that. His arms are wide open. And he will meet us here today. Let's do that. It's humbling for me to recognize the things that for years I thought are peripheral accessories, add-ons that really aren't important, are things that Scripture considers vital and important. And one of the things I've had to come to admit about myself is I've been too busy to rejoice. I feel like there's so many things that are wrong and broken and so many things that need doing that rejoicing and being joyful always seem out of step. And that's kind of an extra thing. And and that showing solidarity with people in suffering would mean not rejoicing. And the scripture says something so different, that repeatedly believers in difficult circumstances are being directly urged to celebrate, to rejoice as an expression of life in Christ. And I realized, yeah, this is part of who God is. That the joy of the Lord is not because everything's working out. It's because he's the fountain of joy. And so we're preaching about this over these weeks in the earnest prayer that God will work something in us as a community. And if you, like me, recognize that you're too busy to be full of joy, you're too worried to be full of joy, that you're too troubled, and even where you've rationalized it as that's for people who are more emotionally driven and, and I'm not that way. Let's just repent of that. Let's embrace the fullness of who God is. Even in body and blood, Jesus himself brings his joy to his disciples through the Holy Spirit. Can we take the bread and cup together? Thank you, Jesus.